0: Hey, I'm Will, and this is Benj.
1: We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big.
0: And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like?
1: How will it adapt and innovate and thrive?
0: If you're asking these questions too, Then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next.
1: Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation.
2: You might already be having these conversations within your tribe, but we want to form a community that brings divergent thoughts together. My name's Jamie. Jamie. I was a church planter and now I'm helping others to plant churches as the Gen 1K mission team leader. Instead of this increasing polarisation, we want to learn how to explore different perspectives with a commitment to learning from each other. So at the end of every episode, I've gathered some friends for a roundtable conversation to explore how these ideas might play out in your context. Follow us on Instagram and join our Forming Church Podcast Facebook group to add your voice to the conversation.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Forming Church. Hope you're doing well out there. How are you doing today, Benj? I'm doing wonderful.
1: Thank you. And uh, we have a uh, really fantastic conversation today that I loved. I enjoyed very much. It was uh, one that really uh, confronted me, uh, challenged me, and uh, really has reshaped some of my views around uh, the conversation that we're going to have.
0: This was probably one of my favorite interviews of wow. the whole season. We've done obviously a bunch of interviews, people internationally in Australia, but sitting down with today's guest was such a delight. And like you said, one that was both very challenging uh, to, to maybe do some rethinking, but also really encouraging. Yeah.
1: So uh, Louise Bartlett uh, joins us today. She was a church planter. She now currently is a children and Family Ministry Connection Facilitator for the Baptist Association of New South Wales and ACT. That is a long job title. That is a mouthful.
0: (laughs) Don't be turned off by that very wordy title. (laughs) We can just say that she is, actually, she gave herself a title that we we shall henceforth know her as a prophet of hope.
1: Yes, and she explains uh, that in the interview. We talk about all things um, kids and uh, ministry and intergenerational uh, community building. And she paints a beautiful picture of what the church can be and bring in our world, in our culture. And uh, this, yeah, really challenged me mm. and has caused me to rethink some of the stuff that we're doing as a church plant to, uh, again, reevaluate um, how we are treating and viewing our yeah. kids.
0: And look, whatever denomination you find yourself in, whatever size church, whatever style of church, this is relevant if your church has multiple generations in it which we hope it does this is a conversation you need to listen to so check it out well louise thank you so much for joining us on forming church podcast really looking forward to our conversation before we jump into it for people who don't know what does a normal week in the life of louise look like
3: a normal week It looks like multiple things happening. I'm a mum of three kids. My oldest is 19 and my youngest is 12. So we've got high school and uni all going on. I'm part of a local church and so I get involved in all sorts of stuff there, whether it's from youth and kids ministry, uh, leading worship. Um, This Sunday I'm speaking. So it's just a variety of stuff that happens uh, there i'm married and we try and invest in our marriage i gotta make sure that there's food on the table (laughs) and there's clothes to wear and so between the family we make that sort of stuff happen too and i like to speak with my friends and i hang out on instagram and facebook probably a bit more than i should and um and then i look for ways to walk every day Mm -hmm. um Sometimes it's just around my lounge room because it's late at night, but other times it's along by the water or in the park. Oh,
1: I love it. I love it. Uh, there's, there's power in walking, isn't there? That's yeah. Good.
3: But I left out the one thing I spend a lot of time doing, which is working for the Baptist Churches of New South Wales and ACT. And my role there is as the Kids and Families Ministry facilitator. And There's a team of us trying to um, help churches and encourage them as they work with kids and their families.
1: Oh, it's great. I know, um, Louise, you have some pretty well-formed thoughts around kids and children's ministry and intergenerational uh, ministry as churches. Um, I would love you to just picture, you know, I'm a church planter or there's a church planter listening where, you know, thinking about starting a church and inevitably there's some sort of gathering um, of people, a Sunday gathering or, you know, some, something else alternative. Um, sometimes uh, for church planters, uh, kids can be a bit of an afterthought. What would you say to church planters as they are sort of uh, leading up to starting a church, building a community? Uh, what, what, what's, what's some advice that you would, you would give them?
3: Yeah. So first let me say this is not just uh, thoughts without experience. So I was actually involved in planning a church over 20 years ago and it was something we had to wrestle with. In fact, I ended up as a Kids and Families Ministry um, pastor because I said, so what's going to happen for the kids before we had even started gathering in any shape or form? And, oh, I'll, I guess that will be me. And through that, God um, led me to different places and experiences that has meant this has become the thing I focus a lot on in my life. So let me then actually, what would I say? To church planners, I would say, you know what I love about church planners is the way that they dream and reimagine and they question everything, even uh, the very name that they will call their community of faith. There's no uh, Hen and Chicken Bay Baptist or, um, you know, Edelong or anything about the suburb. It becomes about who we want to be. Um, you know, whether it's Hope to Offer or Lighthouse or all those sorts of names that speak life. So, pe- planners do that. And they reimagine even what gathering will look like. And then somehow the reimagining stops. And when it comes to kids, we just do what everyone else has been doing. We actually even pick up on a model that's over 200 years old now and it had the name Sunday School and it started by a guy named Robert Rakes and his heart was to bring justice and and education to kids who were working six days a week in mines and factories and weren't actually learning to read or write or spell. And so they were trapped into this kind of life and it would just repeat itself generation after generation. So he launched this social justice initiative of teaching kids to read and write using the Bible as their textbook, the Sunday school. And we've just picked it up and carried it on and made it our discipleship tool instead of our social justice tool We might rename it to Thrive or Zone or something like that, but at the heart it's still this education thing when actually what a gathered community is for is for discipling one another and making disciples. So what does it look like to see children first and foremost as fellow disciples? And if church planners could do that, See them as fellow disciples. Ask different questions. I think that would be a great way, a great way to start.
0: Wow, that is, that is fantastic stuff. I'm feeling very inspired already. Um, it's so interesting how something that was at one time very progressive and the right thing for the moment has just sort of stayed there and it needs to be reimagined again but maybe, yes. you know, there's a lag on these things. Yeah. Um, what do you think are some of the things that churches, you know, not laying blame, maybe they have great intentions, but what are some of the common mistakes that churches make when it comes to how they think about, you know, what they have in place for children in their community?
3: Well, you know, I talked about seeing kids as fellow disciples. What's well, actually how they s- – the common mistake is the other ways that we see kids first. Um, so some of these things that I'm about to say are true of children, but I wish – they weren't the first thing we'd see. So we see them as cute and we see them as uh, future-proofing for the church. We see them as the life-giving force within our faith community and so we see them as joy-bringers. All of that is true. We also see them as blank slates waiting to be filled up, waiting to have uh, God's story written on them. But actually they're so in tune with the divine And if we just pause to listen for long enough, you know, Jesus said, see this little child? You know, this is what the kingdom's like. So if we're not seeing this little child, how are we going to know what the kingdom's like? Um, One of the worst things that churches do is they see children as bait. They see children as if we could get the kids to be a part of what we're doing and if they really loved it, if we could have the best kids program in the area, and they're begging their parents, if we could get the kids to use their pester power on getting their parents to church, then we could get more people to be part of our church. So we're using The kids.
0: McDonald's Happy Meal Strategy.
3: Yes, the McDonald's Happy Meal Strategy, pester power. We're using kids to get to who we really want, which is the adults. What if we just saw kids as disciples who need Jesus? and who want to serve him and invite others to do the same.
1: Oh, that is that is so good and um, and convicting and uh, inspiring all at the same time. Um, do you have any ideas of, of practices or ways of gathering, when it particularly comes to gathering, um, you know, on a Sunday, we could talk about other stuff later, but um, what are some best practices then uh, to make sure that we aren't just viewing kids as cute and blank slates and future-proofing and, and uh, bait for the people we really want. How do we integrate them as, as true disciples um, and, and learn from them and do the journey together with them?
3: One of the really helpful phrases I've found is um, to ask, where are we uh, ministering for kids? where is there something that is for children? So actually our kids' programs, sometimes those things are for children. Sometimes we get a jumping castle in or we have face painting or something really fun as part of our gathering and that's something for children and that's okay for their stuff to be stuff for children. But it helps to also think about what are we doing with children? Like what are we doing alongside? Where are we co-learners, co-worshippers, co-prayers, co-laborers for the gospel. And so um, like a common thing is preaching and engaging the word of God, opening it up for people. But so often actually what we're opening it up for is adults. Even our stories and analogies are of workplaces or home but, you know, for a couple or um, with your friends when you're out at a restaurant or cafe. like We use all this language that is clearly about adults. So if it was a message opening the Bible with kids and adults, what does it look like to use one of the examples as from the playground or when you're with your friends and you're playing or on the soccer team? um, What does it look like to ensure we are talking with them, not talking to adults and them just listening in, what does it look like to change the style of what we do? You know, the 30-minute monologue, we've found kids really don't engage in it. Funnily enough, some adults don't Or adults,
0: either. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just better at pretending. <laughs>
3: exactly. They're just better at pretending. Uh, so what does it look like to have more discussion-based? What does it look like to use to use the Discovery Bible Um method where you're asking, you know, what does this tell us about God? What does it tell us about people? What does it tell me about myself? Um, where? What's a command to follow? And you'd be amazed how much kids can actually participate in that. And then where is their ministry from children? What are the ways that the children serve the faith community, the, the world? Where are those spaces where we receive ministry from children? So on a Sunday – If we were to look for some different rhythms, not get so stuck on the same thing every week, we'd find there's opportunities for that.
0: That's really helpful. I'm thinking about how there's sort of two maybe dangers that we can fall into. One is that we over-segregate our churches. We run everything, not just children's ministry, but we have children's, young adults, seniors, you know, couples, singles. We segregate everybody, the surfers, the, the, you know, whatever, whatever kind of subcultures we can find, we create things for those subcultures. We can do that to the point that we actually aren't in community with people that are different to us. We're just living with people that are the same life stage as us and not having that intergenerational learning. On the other side, there's kind of the danger that we can lump everybody in together and fail to recognise the genuine differences that we need at different stages of life, different seasons of our faith, different developmental moments. How do you think we can juggle those two things well? Like what's a picture of being able to be genuinely integrated while acknowledging the different needs of our different stages of life?
3: I think if we were to move to experiences rather than programs and think of experiences uh, that develop us in a more holistic way, what does it look like to create some other... Rights of passage. What does it look like when you get your driver's license? Well, that's an generally an age specific thing. What does it look like for the faith community to stand with that young person and um, thank God for the gift to move around? Thank God for the opportunity that that will bring to serve others and pray for them to be wise in their in their driving. What does it look like to have rites of passage when people retire, or move to a new job, or start studying, or lose a job, or get really sick, or find healing? What does it look like to have some rites of passage or some celebrations or some moments of deep prayer as a community? Some of those things will be age specific, and we'll do it with our peers. And some of it we'll need to serve children or serve older people or serve the young families. Um, But some of it we can do together. And I think it's just being open to ask the question, are there ways we could do this all together? I actually think it would be a far better use of resources uh, and people could serve out of their gifts rather than just because we need this program
1: Oh, I love that. I think, um, you know, you don't have to look very far in our culture, Western culture in general, to see that uh, our rites of passage are not very strong. We're we're self-initiating in adulthood or, or, you know, adolescence is lasting longer and longer. And I love that the church can play a role in that creating rites of passage and, and ritual and celebration and helping people move on in their, and, and grow in in their um, just life, but life with God and life in community. I think that is a incredible um, thought and challenge. I'm wondering about broadening out from just the Sunday gathering. Um, what does it look like to create community that really does um, bring together different generations? I think the church, like you said, really is one of the last places we have where different generations can actually... Um, Uh, mix and learn from one another and yet we still want to segregate out because it just seems easier or cleaner. Um, What would you say about building a church and a community beyond the Sunday gathering and that sort of intergenerational mix? Do you have any thoughts around
3: that? You just, as you spoke, reminded me of a quote by Lucy Moore who said um, basically, uh, heaven forbid we create uh, church in our own image. Like Mm. we've got to understand Mm. that God is... Um, ...broader and wider than just what I look like... ...and how do we connect with, with others. Um, and you know, we should rail against separating ourselves from each other. It comes... Um, I think one of the best ways to do that... ...to create intergenerational community... Uh, ...is around meals. And to invite others into our homes... ...who aren't just like us... Um, and so sometimes, as we're planting and starting out, we just need to be intentional. We just need to introduce each other uh, to one another. Uh, we can look for a mix of age groups when we're when we're gathering in our in our homes, and encourage people to experience that round the dinner table of the extended family. Now, I know we pull out the kids' table at Christmas when all the cousins are gathered and there's, there's you know, 29 of us in – we're not all going to fit. So, we pull out the kids' table. But we don't pull it out when it's just our family, our, you know, nuclear family. And we don't pull it, pull it out when we have a couple of other people over. So, what does it look like around the meal table to share – to share food but to share story, to ask what was the high and low of the day – or the year. Um, I think there's so much power in finding the aunties and uncles and the nieces and nephews and the grandparents in the faith. There's such power in that, but we have to create those experiences. Where do we look for spaces to serve alongside each other? And maybe if we have to choose where we want to be intergenerational, maybe for some it's easier to start with the community initiatives with our uh, gathering and fellowship stuff, with our um, celebrations, and it's harder to do that intergenerational learning. But if it's not happening anywhere, we're in trouble. However, the church plan is a place that you can experiment and explore, so I'd actually try that being intergenerational, hearing from one another in every space if I could.
0: I feel really lucky, Louise, that I've had a number of voices who have been advocates for some of this in my life for a long time. Uh, Before I became a dad, I will openly confess that my wife had a much greater respect for and belief in the capacity, imagination and dignity of children than I had by default. I probably just thought they were cute and they were adults waiting to be formed. She taught me right from the beginning to see that within themselves they had everything that God creates a human with. They had um, all of those, yeah, wonderful ideas and perspectives that I could learn from. And then, you know, in in church as well, um, I've I've had the privilege of working alongside people who are fierce advocates for the place of you know children in the discipleship community. But I recognise that it can be quite draining being an advocate in this space because it's not the probably the the majority view yet. There's probably a lot of people who think that's nice, but inconvenient and I'm pretty attached to how we've always done things just wondering how you uh, maintain energy as an advocate when if there's people listening that feel like yes this is speaking my language but I feel a bit drained from being the one always bringing this up and how can we maybe um, gently but also with a sense of urgency shift culture towards this becoming more normative do you have any thoughts you've learnt around that
3: I feel like you've been reading my journal, Will, <laughs> because uh, I've cried bucket loads of tears. Uh, different times of thought, what's my holy discontent or what's my why, what what drives me, and the thought that a church would do anything that prevents a child finding faith or holding on to faith, that we would, by the way we be together, would drive them from the faith community So, language like um, the kids will go out now, and then we wonder why they don't come back when they're 12 or 13. We've been sending them out from our faith community all those years. Um, Where we, some of the saddest stories, like in school holidays, where we use phrases like, we need to give the kids' leaders a break. From what? What do you need to give them a break from? From being with the people who Jesus drew into the centre and said, this is what the kingdom looks like, you need to give them a break from that? I actually think we all need to hang out with those people. And then not only do we give the kids' leaders a break so they can be in and be fed by the sermon, well, what do you think's been happening with the kids? Don't you think that if I had to come to understand this passage – think about how I'm going to explain it and then work it through with children and hear what they have to say as well, that I would have been more moved, grown more in my faith because when you're able to articulate it rather than just hear it, it actually sinks deeper into your heart. Don't you think that would be more about my growth than sitting and listening to how you have wrestled with the spirit and what you've found? So then... I hear of churches that have done that, given the leaders a break, ensured they got to be in church during the sermon. But we need to do something with the kids. And so they put on a movie for the kids. And to me, that just breaks my heart because here it is, we're making it very clear. Actually, the reason we run a kids' program is because, kids, you're a distraction. You are too active. You can't sit and listen and you stop us. From being with Jesus. It just, it makes me angry and it makes me sad. And all I can do is remind myself that the disciples who hung out with Jesus had the same problem. And so I need to cut people some slack because if the people who hung out with Jesus had that, that problem, who were right up close to him for years, and he had to say, you've got no idea, stop, let them come to me, then maybe what I need to do is to keep reminding people of Jesus' voice and I need to keep telling stories of hope and I need to keep being with kids myself and being delighted by the way they see God, by their stories, by their visions, by their prayers, by their hope for their own community. When I do that and I tell those stories and I live in that space and I see glimmers of hope, then I can keep going. But if I dwell only on the negative, then, yeah, I get tired and I get weary and I get angry and I get sad. But I, I, I want to be a prophet of hope. And so, yeah, I'd love people to share their stories. Um, we've had some beautiful stories shared over the years. Uh, there was a church where they were trying to fundraise for a building and this child took his birthday money and decided to share that with the church. He he came to the pastor and said, "Here, pastor, I've here's my money. I want to start, you know, contributing to this building that we that we believe we need for our community." And that child led that whole faith community in generosity, in giving more than just a little bit, just the first little bit. He gave a lot. And so, where are those stories? Let's keep telling them to one another.
1: Wow. I feel like I, I need your voice in my life weekly because I can, I can listen to this stuff and, and I'm so on board and inspired and challenged and then it seems like just all the other stuff creeps in. Um, and so I just wanted to, th- to thank you for being that consistent uh, prophet of hope and that actually we need that. We need that as, as planters and pastors and as a movement and um, particularly those of us like me, I don't have kids, uh, yet and am uh, in a different life stage and just continually need that reminder and that voice. And so um, thank you. keep going. We, we need you. Um, I was just thinking then about uh, thinking about you know larger church models and thinking about architecture and space and buildings and when it comes to looking for spaces to gather, is there anything you, sh- you think we should uh, be looking for in terms of uh, helping our kids? become fellow disciples, um, whether that's separate spaces or integrated spaces. Do you have any thoughts around that?
3: That's a really good question, Benj. Um, Christina Embry, who writes the Refocus blog, has just done a series on spaces and how our architecture, how our community spaces uh, impact the way we respond. So if you think about um, if a church has uh, ramps with railings and they have uh, seats all in rows, and they have a stage and up the front bit. What does that tell us? Or if they have lots of um, flowers uh, in you know, and even the look is dark, who's this space for? It's for significantly older people. At the same time, if it's just all playground, it also doesn't help kids know, what we're going to be doing in this space so I think there needs to be kind of flexible spaces there needs to be things that say you are welcome here I mean one of the simple things is the height of things um, where are signs where are um, if you've got a table with information on it or is it like a high stand or is it a lower one that you know the average five-year-old could see onto it's all those sorts of Things It doesn't have to be a playground. I think that's really important. Uh, Churches that are more contemplative uh, and liturgical would probably look for um, imagery and symbol and and that's a great thing to look for. Uh, We might look for spaces that we can do different things but they're not solely the kids' space. A space that's got a bright blue wall is just as welcoming to a child as to an adult. But a space that is got bouncing balls and, and little kid-like motifs on it is probably not as welcoming to an adult. And it says this space is separate. So what does it look like to create welcoming spaces that are welcoming for everyone? Now, if you happen to meet in a school and there's a playground, bonus. But uh, I think kind of having a look at the space, does it welcome everyone or is it only welcoming to children or only welcoming to adults is probably a way forward.
0: Yeah, that's a great question for everybody to be asking. And I think one thing I, I sort of have continued to learn and maybe this is a bit of a footnote for a future conversation, but there's always, uh, you know, we, we so easily see our spaces from our perspective. Um, I have a son with special needs. He's on the spectrum. And so that's been just another level of thinking about the sensory experience of a space. And so I would encourage anybody listening to this just to think. You know, it's it definitely we would hope there are children in your community. Uh, there are almost definitely going to be people with special needs in your community, children and adults. And this whole conversation just makes me think: how can we um, continue to see our spaces, see our events, see our uh, rhythms through the perspectives of many and uh, how we can continue to create uh, common spaces shared spaces that acknowledge our diversity louise thank you so much you have shared so much wisdom with us this has been an absolutely delightful conversation both filled with that real that real pain that we are missing out on something wonderful if we don't address this but also real hope that there's so much to be gained if we have these conversations Uh, We'd love to just finish by asking a few rapid-fire questions. These are the one-word or one-sentence answers. Bring it on. What do you think is the biggest danger to the future of the church in Australia?
3: Individualism.
0: What's giving you hope about the future of the church in Australia?
3: Adaptability.
0: Uh, What's influencing you right now in terms of books, podcasts, things you're engaging with?
3: I'm listening to the We Wonder podcast, uh, books I'm reading, um, children's ministry in the way of Jesus. Uh, children matter and intergenerate
1: very good Um, if you could have one book that you had unlimited amounts of that you could give to everyone that you saw what would that book be
3: I love books you've made it really hard Ben. okay one book
1: everyone finds this one hard
3: yeah I think I'd go with uh, Holly Allen's intergenerational faith formation
0: Uh, and final question uh, for people listening that are Starting new things, church planters, entrepreneurial thinkers or even, you know, in well-established churches where they're wanting to, um, you know, be a part of something new, uh, what would be your, your two to three sentences for those people?
3: Think about how you see kids first. What's the first thing you see? And if you can see them as fellow disciples and make them welcome, enable them to receive ministry from you, to minister alongside you, and to minister to you, I imagine that we'd see the kingdom come.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Louise. Hey, this podcast is
1: sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. To find out more, visit bfs.org.au.
0: We hope you are enjoying the Forming Church podcast. As fun as it is to listen to our voices, they are not the only ones that matter. Add your voice to the conversation by joining the
1: Forming Church Facebook group or connecting with us on Instagram at Forming Church.
0: What do the ideas in this episode's interview look like in diverse contexts? That's what Jamie,
2: Ken and Pip are going to explore right now. Welcome Pip, Ken. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. It's great to have you guys here. In this interview, we heard Benj and Will chat with Louise Bartlett about what not to do with kids or what to do with kids. And the point of these roundtable conversations is to practice learning from people with diverse and at times divergent opinions. You might have a different perspective to Louise, Benj, Will, Pip, Ken, myself, but how can we create healthy debate and move beyond the echo chamber of our own tribe? So guys, what struck you? Um, I think
4: the first thing that stood out for me was uh, just uh, getting an understanding of the foundation on which we've built Kids Ministry, that it actually began as a social justice endeavor, and uh, we just picked it up and continued running with it, Uh, and just that understanding alone has shifted me in terms of just perspective, yeah.
2: That challenged me as well to think about so where is justice being withheld from children today Yeah, and what does it look like to right that wrong Yeah, and to to be a part of what God is doing in that space, bringing justice? Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. great. Pip, what stood out to you?
5: I um, was surprised actually. I felt uh, kind of what I felt when I was a child in church and, and part of that experience um, was good and part of that experience was, um, if I'm very honest, um, being kicked out of Sunday school. Uh, now that happened on a few occasions and… Um, well, I don't believe that. Yeah, amazing. Uh, it was last century, I'll, 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 I'll admit to that. Um, but um, I was physically excluded Um, from the meeting um, several times and while um, it's not something that I think about very regularly at all uh, today as an adult, it's certainly not something that I want my children to experience Mm. uh, because I don't want them to misunderstand being pushed out from Sunday school or a kids ministry program. I don't want them to equate that as being excluded from the family of God.
2: Mm. Oh wow, that's so good and I think for me that comes back to this overarching theme that Uh, is woven throughout what Louise shared, that we see children as fellow disciples. Yeah. Absolutely. And just that posture, that perspective, that really enables us to then uh, reimagine what it looks like um, Mm. to be a community on mission together. One of the questions that stood out to me uh, that I wrote at the top of my notepad was, why does the reimagining stop? Mm. Why do you guys think the reimagining stops?
4: I I think um – it it stops when we start excluding kids from the conversation, uh, and 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 we just there's a it's such an important voice that is just sucked out of the room, and so we all think the same. If we're around the same age, have the same life experience, we think the same, and therefore we will most likely pattern our ministries around what we think and hold as 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 true and valuable. But the people we are sort of putting in pl- uh, the ministry for and not in that room to sort of speak into it. And that's where I think the reimagining just stops because we just do, do the same thing, the same thing, yeah.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So bringing those other voices into the conversation, um, deliberately looking at um, how to include the voice of children so that just as Louisa said that um, this discipleship together and the ministry is for children, alongside children and from children.
2: Yeah so powerful I think about when we teach cultural exegesis or contextualization at college as well and in classes and um, a lot of it so there is this this learning of your neighborhood learning of your community and understanding um, uh, the people and what it looks like to see a new church emerge from that but Often it's not actually done through the lens of children. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's still done through the lens of adults. And I, I see that as a real flaw and an opportunity to begin to incorporate those voices even into the classroom. I think that's incredibly important.
5: Mm. And then I think another very concrete action could be to feel. Mm. Because when we're looking at cultural exegesis, the one advantage that we have as, as adults is that we have all had experience being a child. Mm. Yeah. We just forget. <laughs> yeah, true. And my experience growing up in Sydney might be a bit different to yours, Ken, growing yeah. up in Kenya in yeah. the village. But we've all had experiences being children, yeah. and I think we need to um, really challenge ourselves to say, remember again, what does it feel like?
4: Yeah.
5: And let that inform our church planting.
4: Mm. I, I know we do a, as churches, uh, we do a lot of uh, surveys and, and questionnaires. I just thought to myself, we've never done one for kids and mm. ask kids. What do you think about church? Mm -hmm. What do you think about worship? What do you think about communion? What do you think about this? I I think this, 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 I think this is gold. It's just really opened up my mind to like, I had such
2: significant blind spots. I've never thought about this intentionally. (laughs) Yeah. As a family, we are working slowly through our own definitions of the core functions of the church. So worship, discipleship, community, and mission mm. and developing a shared language and therefore shared expectations around mm. what that looks like. And I've done that as an adult, uh, but coming to that process again, as a parent mm. and hearing the voice of my kids into that space, as they wrestle with what it looks like, uh, to, um, have a heart of worship where mm. God holds our affection and mm. our attention. Mm. And, and then to be able to see that as more than just singing songs, Yeah. Um, but then it just opens them up and us up as a family to so much more uh, possibility of what it looks like to be the church in this yeah, age. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. so much to learn, don't we? Oh yeah. What else stood out to you guys?
4: Uh, one thing that not only stood out, but honestly, I felt like a sense of a rebuke was the whole clickbait type of thing, where the McDonald's Happy yeah, Meal strategy. Yeah, yeah. I I, I confess, I, I I have been guilty of that. As I know, many others have been, where you you your strategy around the children is uh, is an end to you, you want. There's something you want at the end of it. It's not the kids. It, yeah, I mean, you love the children. You want to see them come to church, but uh, I think Louis puts it as you want the real target is the parents, and that mm. pester power of mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. if I can get these children to a really good program, they will pester their parents, and their parents will come, who are the people I really want. Mm. And just that's a rebuke. Um, in terms of that, that's not the way. Uh, even Christ portrayed for us when His disciples were sort of
2: stopping the kids from coming to Him, um, and and just like, oh man, Lord, I need to repent from that. And 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 yeah, I wonder how much of that comes back to metrics and how we how and what we measure. Yeah. Yeah. So we're measuring adults in a worship gathering we're yeah. measuring dollars budgets yeah. and, and so therefore they're contributing to that children aren't contributing yeah. to that so I, I think the measurements again come into play here as we've yeah. seen in other episodes yeah. yeah
5: which is consumerism not discipleship isn't it yeah,
4: yeah. And, and i think mike in one of the episodes mentions about you know why do we count uh, i think it comes from a place of fear and sometimes self-affirmation uh but what what really is the church about it's letting the community of the world know about the glory of God. And children are a significant part of it. Think about children in terms of the the relationships they have in schools and and all these things. They have such a wide voice and such a wide um, network, much more than parents. I mean, I think about the number of friends I have. They're very limited. It's very hard to make friends when you're growing older it's just set that a personality it's, thing it's, or is no, that a, just okay. a it's just a growing old thing where you yeah. just get drained by it. it's draining yeah, but yeah. kids they have like multiple relationships yeah. if we see them as amazing voices in a community that could help people others hear about you know know about the glory of god it's an amazing way of seeing them as fellow disciples
5: yeah yeah
2: one of the things that uh, really came up in this was this whole idea of rites of passage yeah. and how important they are in personal formation yeah. um, and and the, the role the broader church could play in that space. Um, Ken, I know you're quite familiar with rites of passage. In, in our context, uh, certainly for me growing up, Uh, There was not, it's really self-directed and Mm. it might have been when you got your license, which was a sign of independence, when you could drink, when you could vote. Uh, But there wasn't this uh, lens through which we saw it as a formational experience. Mm. Could you share a bit into that space? Yeah, so uh, um, the culture I come from
4: and in particular the tribe I come from, uh, as would be with a lot of other tribes in in the area of, of, of Africa I come from, they are very clear um, rites of passage mm. that both boys and girls go through, mm. uh, and it's, it's' it's community driven, it's, It has legacy and history to it, it has rituals and rhythms. Mm. Uh, and these become such significant milestones in an individual's life mm. um, that that come with great responsibility and great blessings. And I was thinking reading CNN. I was watching CNN the other day. They were talking about uh, one of the key rituals in in Kenya, which is done every ten years, where the Maasai's move from just being boys to uh, to warriors, and it's a very significant thing. Um, and it's it's so significant that people can actually measure, or it's a, it's such an anchor in their life that they know on this day I became a man, mm. and this is what it means. Mm. Uh, the same thing. I hope my son will go through that. At a particular point of a transition, like you're now a man, and this is what it means, and the symbols that are given, the boys are given shields and and spears, and given a, a cloak, and it comes with understanding that you have stepped into a new space, um, which requires you to act and be in a, in a particular way. So, um, that's very clear for us, um,
2: which is very different to a nuclear family framework of raising children isn't it? it's this whole yeah. idea that it takes a village to raise a child yeah. and in the west i i think we we don't have natural villages we actually have to work hard at creating villages yeah. and mm. allowing the community into that space of formation um, mm. broader than just the parent-child relationship
5: mm. And seeing how these rituals uh, can continue through adulthood. Uh, What is it that we continue to affirm and celebrate in the lives of the people who are part of our church? Mm. Sometimes I think we do that well when it comes to uh, people in relationships. We celebrate engagements and weddings and wedding anniversaries and and the birth of children uh, as we should. Mm. Uh, What are those other milestones that we recognize and celebrate for single people in our churches. Mm. Uh, how can we do better at that? Uh, to celebrate together um, the the faithfulness um, to kingdom work, the uh, perhaps work achievements, the the life milestones of, of other people in our churches as well. Mm,
2: that's good, Pepe. That's great. If you guys were to ask Louise a follow-up question, what would you ask?
5: I'd love to ask a bit more about... Um, discipling alongside children she said that children are co-laborers co-workers how can we serve together in god's mission
4: Uh, i was just gonna ask the same thing that's the one thing that sort of stood out for me how because it's it's a it's a live conversation it's a here and now thing uh and how do we actually do it
2: Mm -hmm. um yeah i would love to hear her answer why does the reimagining stop and unpack yeah. that? I know she's been part of a church planting team and she's seen a lot of church plants. And mm. so really just to hear her thoughts on that, mm. I think would be uh, a really rich experience. Mm. If you were to suggest a concrete action or next step for someone in this area, what would it be? I think, uh, take a, do a
4: survey of your church, but ask the kids a question. Kids are brutally honest. Um, they see things in a different way. Uh, and, it will give you a perspective of, of what I think you value um, as a church. So I'd say get on there, put together a very simple uh, questionnaire, very simple, and, and just ask the questions and be willing to receive the honest, brutal feedback.
5: I'd say uh, next time you're preaching a sermon, uh, look at an analogy or an illustration that's going to resonate with a 10-year-old in your congregation.
2: Mm. That's great. That's good. I wonder about asking that question, where is justice being withheld from mm. children now, uh, both in my neighbourhood but also globally? And I wonder if that question will open up other possibilities into the Sunday School of the future. So yeah. just encouraging churches to include kids in those questions and, and just to, to explore where is justice being withheld from children now? Good question. Mm. That's good. Excellent. Thanks, guys, and thanks for listening. Remember to join the conversation at the Forming Church Podcast Facebook group and follow us on Instagram.
1: Well, what a conversation. Whew. That got me. It got me good. What, uh,
0: what, it, what are you going to do about
1: it? I think the biggest uh, shift that's done for me is, um, Louise was talking about, you know, what do, we, what do we view children as first? Often it's cute or um, the future or a blank slate or, you know, even an afterthought, um, joy bringers in a community, all those things are, are, can be true. Um, but the encouragement to think as of children as first a disciple, a mm. fellow disciple, a fellow uh, learner and student. And, um, you know, we see that in the life of Jesus, right? That like all, all these kids always want to hang out with Jesus. Jesus
0: uh, loves kids. Welcomes the children. Yeah. And not just welcomes them for a cute photo op, 100%. but to actually draw, draw us to become like a child again, to see the world through the eyes of a child again.
1: Yeah. What was your takeaway?
0: Oh, I love that stuff. We just started to get into at the end around architecture and the question that you asked around that and just thinking about environments. I've been thinking about this uh, probably for the last 12 months in a range of like in terms of my own personal behavior and habits and how much those are influenced by our environments. And it's exactly the same with children. And often, if we think about the outcomes we're getting out of our environment, there's probably a huge uh, amount of that outcome that we can attribute towards actually how the space is set up and the expectations that we've created through the sort of space that we are meeting in. So for me, as a simple church planter, um, you know, we don't have a venue. We're meeting in people's homes. Um, but even to think about how are we using uh, the way that we set up our, our living room. How are we using the way that we integrate inside and outside uh, in a way that helps everybody to be both teachers and learners?
1: Yeah, there's that quote, we build our buildings and then our buildings build us or we shape our environments and our environments shape us. And uh, it's, yeah, I think the, the church of the future, we have to get better at thinking about space and environment and actually what is that saying about our theology and our practice and our formation?
0: Yep. so... What was the takeaway for you? We'd love to hear from you. You can jump into our Facebook group, just search Forming Church Podcast on Facebook or connect with us on Instagram at Forming Church and let us know what stood out to you from this episode. What changes are you making? Do you have stories uh, of things you've tried in this area that have really helped to shift culture or create change? We want to hear from you. So, so jump on and we would love it if you would help us to spread the word about the Forming Church Podcast. How can people do that, Bench? Uh, the
1: best way to do that is to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If you can just type in uh, Forming Church Podcast, that's the only way you can review at the moment, right, is on Apple.
0: I know, Google, Spotify, guys, if you're listening, could just
1: add a rate and review feature. Get it together. Um, uh, but that goes a long way to helping people find uh, these conversations. And if you think this is going to be helpful for someone, share it, pass it along, send them a message.
0: And I would encourage you as well, with this episode in particular, there might be some temptation to just pass this along to the children's and family pastor or to the children's ministry team. Get your whole team to listen to this. Uh, Listen to this with a broad variety of people. See what their reactions are and see how you might be able to approach this together. Listen to this with, with children or with teenagers and ask, like, how could we actually do this together? That's one of the huge things, right? Let's not just talk about kids. Let's talk with them about how we shape our, our culture. So good. Catch you next time.